So before I read my text for this morning, um, we're talking about having the eyes to see what God's doing and then cooperating with God. And I think, here's a sense that I get. I think that the Lord's trying to train us right now, even in and through worship, to grow in our ability to perceive, to see what he's doing. And so part of the way that we grow is when people point things out to us. And so let me just point out that when Pastor Gina preached part A of my sermon over here, that that was God. The Holy Spirit was on her, anointing her to bring a message. That doesn't happen every Sunday when the non-preaching pastor gets up and starts to exhort or preach. Okay, So that wasn't just, oh, I'm really feeling something in my heart and I want to share it with the congregation. That's the Holy Spirit bubbling that up, coming on her and empowering her to speak. And why was he doing that? Because somebody here or somebody's here needs to hear Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation and they need to respond to that message. Okay, So we see, we cooperate, and then God doesn't control, he invites So that's one way God was working. And then when we were in family prayer, there were many, but I just want to name one. The Holy Spirit led Nick to a scripture in Revelation. And as he began to read, he was so overcome with the majesty of God that he he stopped being able to speak and pray. God was working and moving in him. And so his prayer, even as... He's getting this glimpse that was carrying on. He shared with Pastor Gene. It was carrying on beyond his ability to pray. It was like he was seeing into heaven through this text in Revelation and going, God, you're so majestic. You're so holy. I can't believe you even invite us to pray and you listen like a father. And then there's this prayer flowing out of that. God, would you give that revelation to others? Would you reveal yourself? Okay. So God was revealing and then moving to pray for revelation. You see, there's he's giving eyes to see and then there's cooperation. And actually, you heard, where's Evan? You moved. Evan prayed twice along the same lines that we would have the eyes to see, to know God more deeply. He was praying for revelation. That was sort of connected to what Nick was praying for. So I think we're just going to keep naming. This This is what the Spirit of God is doing. And this is how we're cooperating, okay? Now God wants to preach, and, um, and I do too. So we're in Acts. We're learning about life in the kingdom of God. And our passage today is Acts chapter 4, 1 to 22. It's the third part of the story that we've been with for the last two weeks. And if someone's got it in the Blue Bibles, what? 1695 is the page it's on. Um, so just to refresh our minds really quickly, Peter and John were on the way into the temple for prayer, uh, three o'clock prayer, and they see this man. He asks for money, and Peter says, um, I, money I don't have to give you, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus, 
stand up and walk. And the man is healed over 40 years. He's not able to walk, born without movement, and he's able to walk. He's dancing, he's praising, he's holding on to Peter. There's a scene developing. And last week we heard Peter had the eyes to see um, that God was working through the scene, and, and he responded by preaching the gospel. And so what happens next? He gets in a little bit of hot water. Acts chapter 4. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, that's one of the religious leading groups or parties, came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power, what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He, or Jesus, is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. That's a quote from the Psalms. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who'd been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they've done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for all for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. God's word. 
probably probably every single person in this room, um, young to old, has had has had some form of this experience. You've walked into a room and you've started to talk to somebody, probably somebody you know, maybe a family member, maybe a friend, and before you know it, they yip back at you. <laughs> and there are varying degrees of snapping, um, but we have this phrase, um, snapped your head off, you know, for a reason, because um, we've been snapped at. And sometimes we just get this really strong reaction from someone. We came in to talk to them, and uh, maybe we said something we didn't, we didn't know it was going to cause an inflammation, but all of a sudden they're, they're, they're worked up or they're intense or they're something at us, and we're going, what's, you know, what's going on here? And um, maybe if they're healthy enough to recognize it and admit it, they might come back later and say, you know, you know where I like bit your head off? <laughs> I'm really sorry. That wasn't about you at all. That was about um, what was going on inside me. You know, I had, well, if they don't and before they do, sometimes those types of situations can be a little bit confusing to us, right? We enter into what we think is going to be a conversation or we say something we think is going to be harmless and all of a sudden there's this big reaction. I, I, want, to, I want to submit to you that that happens to us as Christians and there's a really big form of that happening in the text today. So all they did was heal a cripple. And all they're doing is telling people what they saw. Jesus rose from the dead. We, we saw him die. We saw him raised from the dead. We know who he is. We know what the Bible says about him. We know the Bible says that he's the long-awaited Messiah, that he is the king, that he's now on a throne. But they're just telling, all they're doing is telling people what the Bible says and what they've seen. And so what is the big deal, Right? Why, why such strong resistance? And in fact, if you, if you pick up at verse 14, you kind of, uh, there's, there's a sense of sort of puzzlement here when, when you read them saying, but since they could see the man who'd been healed standing here with them, there's nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they've done an outstanding miracle, and we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading, and you go, wait a minute. You just said out of your own lips that you can't deny it. You just said that this guy that's been at the door of the temple for 40 years, or however many years he's been there, got healed. And it's true. It's not being made up. And you can't deny it, and you recognize it. What's the problem here? Why do you want to stop this thing from spreading? You see, if we don't understand why they want to stop this thing from spreading, then if we won't understand not only what's going on here, but what goes on in our lives a lot of the times when we get reactions that are different or bigger than we might be expecting. Let me back up and just read three scriptures back-to-back really um, and then tie them together. From Revelation, in picking up in the middle of, a, of a, a, a passage, actually the end, it says, Then the dragon, is a symbol for Satan, 
was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commands and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Hear this. There is a demonic being, a fallen angel called Satan, who's real and who rules over a kingdom that's dark. And the Bible says he makes war. That is aggressive attack against. Attempt to exterminate. He makes war against those who obey God's commands and hold to the testimony of Jesus. How does he do that? Well, he works on earth. He's not creative or original. He works in the same way God works. How does God work? God works by his spirit through his church. So God works through people who are yielded to him. Okay? So does Satan. Now, what does the Bible say about who Satan is able to work through? 1 John 5.19 reads, We know that we are children of God, we who believe, we who've come to faith through Jesus. And then he says, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Now, when the Bible says world, it means the human family still in rebellion against God. So it's not popular these days to talk about distinctions like this, but you're either in Christ, you've either been had new life, been born again into the kingdom of God or you're still in the world rebellion against God okay and the bible says the whole world is under the control now if i control somebody i have an influence on how they think how they speak how they act what comes through them third scripture in Ephesians 2.2, 2, in which you used to live, he's writing to the church, when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So catch this, put them all together. The Bible says Satan actively wars against Jesus Christ and his seed, or his church, actively. It says that he is at work in all those who are disobedient. And it says that the, the, the whole world that's not in Christ is under the control or the influence of him. Okay, now, now the picture looks a little different. Because these folks who are standing up against Peter and John are included in those who are disobedient. You say, how is that? Well, what did Peter preach in Pastor Gina's passage last week? He preached, repent then, he's talking to these leaders, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the send the Christ, again, that's Jesus' return, who's been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. 
Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from his people. So the gospel's like this two-edged sword. It comes on the one side with this beautiful news. God loves you. That love and compassion of God that moves him towards people, that moved him toward that lame guy and brought healing, that moved Peter to preach and people to repent and turn. It's, it's this, I want to, to wipe away your sins. That's the heart of God. I want to bring you times of refreshing. That's God's heart. And yet there's this other side of the sword that if you say no to him, well, then he says there's judgment. There's judgment. Anyone who doesn't listen to him will be completely cut off. And so here are these leaders that have heard the gospel. They've heard this is the the Messiah. This is the one God promised, and you need to repent. And they've said no, nothing doing. We don't believe. We want to stay in control. And so there's rebellion in their hearts. And so because there's rebellion, it's not just, oh, hey, we don't want to acknowledge this miracle that happened. It's actually Satan is at work in and through you. Through your sin, he has access, and he is attempting to squeeze out and bear down upon the gospel and the church that's preaching the gospel. Well, why why does that matter? Because you and I face the exact same thing. In different ways. So you might not be... Um, anybody here been in jail for Christ? I don't think so, no? Nobody's been in jail? Anybody been beaten for Christ? No? Okay. But you've been pushed against. You've been pressured. You have been laughed at. You have been um, pressured towards silence. I bet you most people here have got either work with colleagues or have got friends who might not be able to believe that there's anybody left in the world that doesn't think it's okay for two men to marry or two women to marry. And um, when they're saying that in your presence, there's this pressure not to speak. And what would happen if you would say, actually, I believe that the Bible teaches that all of our sexuality is a gift from God and that human sexuality is broken in many ways. It's disordered, lust and perversion in many different ways. And actually, one of the ways that sexuality is disordered is that there are same-sex attractions. And it's not a sin to have same-sex attraction. It's a part of a disordered um, biology. But it is a sin to act on it. And what would happen if you said to those friends or those colleagues or those anybody, it is sin. This is what it means to stand with the name of Jesus. That you represent him. Remember, we're authorized witnesses. Right? Go, be my witnesses. So it doesn't mean you just say, well, hey, you can get saved if you um, believe in Jesus. Yeah. And he has these commands. And God has this way of living that's good and right and holy that he calls us into. And he calls us to represent that. 
some of us may find ourselves in work situations in which we have just sort of given in to the unspoken pressure that you don't, br- you don't bring religion into, not only not into politics, you don't bring it into school, you don't bring it into work, you just keep your religion in church. You keep it with the religious people. You keep it with the other people who believe, but you don't talk about it out here. Don't talk about it on the street. Don't talk about it at work. So I don't want to hear what you think. Okay? Well, have I colluded with that? See, that's a pressure that comes against us. To represent the name of Jesus isn't just a, hey, when I gather with the church family or with fellow believers. No, actually, the gospel is he's Lord. He's king. Pastor Gina said about five or six weeks ago, he's ruling king, he's eternal priest, and he's coming judge. And so why are they so angry? Because this message is a two-edged sword. You repent or there's judgment. That takes boldness, doesn't it? It takes boldness. So uh, I, don't, I don't have to go on and on, but you could, um, you could just say to yourselves, what are the situations where in my life do I need boldness to represent this truth that there's a reigning king who calls, who loves, calls people into his kingdom, and yet says there's consequences for saying no and for disobeying? Okay. Well, I want to submit to you that the way that this text turns out didn't have to turn out this way. So I was thinking, Peter and John spent the night in prison. And if you flip back just a couple chapters to John 16, uh, Jesus had told them, there's a time coming when anybody who beats you and persecutes you and kills you is actually going to think they're doing God a favor. It's going to happen. And so how do they know that this isn't the day? They got up after Pentecost. Peter, Peter, Peter preached a sermon. 5,000 came into the church. Hey, the church is born and then here we are a few weeks or whatever it is later and 2,000 more come in and they're in jail. And maybe he's thinking, my time on earth is short. He's in jail for the night. You got, you got a lot of time to think when you're in jail for the night. And so when you're in jail for the night, you could be thinking, is tomorrow my day? What am I going to do? How am I going to save my skin? What am I going to say when I get out there? And... Um, there is no, there's no guarantee that he gets out and he says, and he doesn't say something, you know, they say, hey, tell us by what power or what name you did this. And uh, it, it could have gone like this. You know, um, all we did was ask God to heal him. That's it. And, uh, and God did this. It's real timid. No Jesus. We just asked. We just, all, all we did was ask God. That didn't happen, did it? Why didn't that happen? Pardon, Betty? Oh, you said Caroline, sorry. The Holy Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now listen, the Holy Spirit doesn't just come and sort of take over us against our will. It's not like 
Peter didn't think about it all night and just was kind of scared and just kind of wondering. And then he got up in the morning and, you know, they took him in and this happened. And all of a sudden, big, bold, preaching the gospel. It doesn't work like that. God doesn't just take over us. There's something that was happening through that night in which Peter was with Jesus. John was with Jesus through the night. They're praying. They are seeking the Lord. They're saying, Lord, you called us to witness. You called us to testify. Lord, you're with us. Lord, your word says this. They are getting full of the Spirit before they get up that morning. They are abiding in Jesus. The last thing he said in John 15 was, if you abide in me, if you remain connected to me and my word remains in you, you will bear much fruit. And so they're abiding in Jesus Christ. They're tied tightly. They're worshiping. They're singing. And they're ready. And then when they get up in the morning, it's no small thing for the Holy Spirit to, to, to come on them because they're ready. They're waiting. Hey, what do I care if I lose my life? I am not going to be afraid of men. He, Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who can take your life. Be afraid of the one who can take your soul. Well, they've got that reverence. And so here they are, and the Holy Spirit comes on him, and he is able to say, listen, he's an ordinary man without school or training. That is so comforting. We are ordinary people. God doesn't need a seminary education to fill you with the Spirit. God doesn't need a seminary education to have any one of us be bold representatives of Jesus Christ wherever he sends us. But what I do believe he calls for is a position of the heart that would be humble, dependent, abiding, waiting. I talked to one woman this morning and she said to me, every morning I get up, I pray, Lord, empower me. Lord, help. There's this place of dependence upon the Lord. And it flows out of a desire to, to be faithful to the Lord. If you, don't, if you don't care how you represent him, if you're thinking, hey, I just got to you know, get through the day, I got to survive, I got to live, whatever. If you're not thinking I'm an authorized representative of Jesus wherever I go, well, then maybe you're not praying that way. If you don't know that Jesus has sent you to your workplace as a representative of him, then maybe you're not praying that way. But listen, nobody here is in your workplace but you. Nobody here lives in your retirement community but you. Nobody here lives in your house but you. Nobody here has your friends but you. You're the authorized representative. You're the one the Holy Spirit wants to fill and use and speak words that are true. You're the one that the Holy Spirit wants to use to lift up Jesus Christ as the only way to God. It didn't have to go this way. Nobody could have got saved this day. If Peter had got up and mumbled, there's 2,000 people that would have come into the kingdom of God somehow, some way, but it wouldn't have been through him. And who knows what would have happened, had to happen to them before they came into the kingdom of God. So there's a tension here. In no way do we ever bring about someone's salvation on our own. It always starts with the Lord and his initiative. So we don't have to bear the stress or the responsibility for that, but he uses us. He wants to use us. So there's this weighty responsibility alongside that. And are we going to be people who mutter and are silent and are not ready? Or are we going to be people who, when the time comes, have Jesus on our lips? Jesus saves. Jesus heals. Jesus is king. Jesus transforms. Jesus. So, in other words, the question is, if they look at us, are they going to say, 
he or she was with Jesus? Are they going to be able to take note and say, you were with Jesus. You bear the resemblance of Jesus. What is that resemblance that they see in Peter and John? I want to say it's two things. One, um, the love and the compassion of God. There's a purity to God's love and compassion, and I believe it just flows through them. You can tell when people are genuine. You can tell by looking in their eyes, and you can tell what's coming out of their heart. And I believe that they can sense that. The second thing is, Jesus did not cater to the opinions of anybody around him. There's a boldness that comes when you have a reverence for God. And you know his words are true and they are life. And I believe that even though they didn't obey Jesus' words, there was this sense of there is something different about this man. Now we know what that is. Not only is he God, Jesus said, my words are spirit. John chapter 5 or 6, my words are spirit. My words are true. They change reality. And so um, you might not be able to describe what's happening, but when someone speaks words that are true and that change reality, you can feel it. You can sense it. Anytime you speak the word of God into a situation, it has a powerful impact. It has an impact that your own words can't bring. If Ron's really struggling and Anna comes up and says, she listens to him and she goes, oh man, don't worry about it. Ron might go, well, okay, you know, like, thanks. Um, Trying not to. But if Anna comes up and says, Ron, let's listen together to Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus says I tell you the truth do not worry about your life do not worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink look at the lilies of the field and see how they are dressed in all their splendor not even Solomon was clothed as glorious as they are and doesn't your heavenly father know what you need And he promises, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. And what's happening in Ron as those words are being spoken is his heart is being strengthened and encouraged and built up. And he's growing to trust God because there's there's a transaction happening because the words are truth and they are spirit. And she was ready to speak them into that situation. So the fact that they can say these men were with Jesus means they bear the resemblance of Jesus. That is, that as representatives of God himself, they bring words of life, words that are true into situations, and it changes them. And so on this day, 2,000 people got saved because Peter brought a word of life. So here's where we're going to end. We're going to end with these two questions. Again, what do people see when they look at us? Do they see Jesus? This is not a statement that's intended to bring any guilt. It's an invitation 
It's an invitation to come deeper in the likeness of Jesus. It's an invitation to spend more time with the Lord. We are not bound by distance or history. He's a living Lord. Put his spirit in us and we can commune with him anytime and anywhere. What do people see in you and in I? And the second thing I want to ask is, what can you not stop talking about that you've seen and heard? What can you and I not stop talking about that we've seen and heard? Just let the Lord fill us with what we've seen in Billy. And uh, Billy's not only coming back to the Lord, but his healing. And what we've seen in Nick, having a vision right here in worship. And what we've seen in, and the list goes on. Look at Jesus. Look at the risen Jesus Look at the way he's working and moving and touching and healing and saving in our congregation. And let that be on your lips. This is what I'm seeing Jesus do. So I'm seeing Jesus do in the schools. So I'm seeing Jesus do at the, at the Bridge Street House of Prayer. This is what I'm seeing Jesus do in my apartment complex. This is what I'm seeing Jesus do with my roommates. This is what I'm seeing Jesus do with my children as I pray. But let our eyes be fixed on what Jesus is doing. That we too could just not stop talking. Not not because there's any pressure, but because it's just so beautiful. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these words, ordinary and unschooled. Lord, thank you that you don't ask us to be anything except believing and available and full of faith and hungry. And Lord, thank you that you meet us in that place of seeking you and that you have all of the courage and the empowering that we need to represent you, to represent the only name that saves. And Lord, we pray that thousands would come into your kingdom through this church. We pray that we will not be able to stop talking about what you're doing among us and all around us, and that all together as one body, our eyes would be fixed on you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.